Daddy. <laughs> I just realized I don't have a clicker. Thank you so much, Mallory. <laughs> We're just going to stand here in awkward silence. How about that? I don't know why God saves some. I loved Alicia's honesty with the pieces of, God, why? Why didn't you let her live longer than that? Um, we had that picture of her faith community coming around her to pray. And we have all walked that, where we have prayed for healing, and sometimes we see miraculous healing take place. And sometimes the person doesn't make it, right? Many of you have walked through that recently. It, I don't know if we'll ever understand on this side of heaven, if we'll ever fully. There are a lot of good teachings around suffering. There are things we can do to write our perspective, but I don't know if we'll ever fully understand. Um, in 2011, I almost died. Um, many of you know that part of our family's story. Uh, there were some similarities to Haven's journey. And, um, and it's something that comes to mind whenever I encounter a situation like that. God, why did you save me and not them? Um, I had unexplained pain. I was rushed to the emergency room. Um, was in the ICU. And for the first two days, um, couldn't, my pain was so high that I couldn't really see, I couldn't really hear, I couldn't really speak. Uh, no one was allowed to come into the room because I was so susceptible um, to infection or they were very concerned about anything that would add to the situation. I didn't know until later that the doctors were telling my husband that I wasn't going to make it, probably. Um, and I didn't know that my kids were crying because they missed me. And I didn't know the prayers of all the people that were coming around my family. But what I did experience and what we have to hang on to, especially in those moments when our hands stretch out to comfort someone and they don't, they can't stretch the gap. For whatever reason, we're not actually able to reach the person to comfort in the way that we long to comfort. What I experienced is something we can hang on to in those moments and that is God's presence was so thick in that space. I actually still sometimes miss that room, even though it represented separation from everything I love here on earth, I still sometimes miss it because I've never felt it so closely as I did in that place. And because his presence was so thick, I had this weird peace 
it was like I was totally unaware of what was actually like all of the chaos and all of the fear that was the, like the reality of what was going on around me. It was what we talk about, that peace that surpasses understanding. And that's what we have to trust, that God's love extends beyond our love for the people in our world, that his presence goes into spaces we can't reach. And that has to be our perspective when we start a hard topic like this. That has to be our place of trust to start off. And out of that place, we get a sense of what our role is when we're walking with people through suffering and loss. And our role is this picture of the tunnel. We are the hope bearers. We are the people who hold on to the light when we're walking with someone who only their vision is filled with the darkness of the tunnel. But we will hang on to the hope that they're not in a place to think through, talk about, comprehend yet, but we'll hold it for them. We will have the capacity, we will practice the strength, we will practice the tolerance to hold that for them. Some examples that we see of what that might look like. When we look at the book of Ruth, we see the women in the community of Bethlehem two primary times. The first is when Naomi is returning to her homeland and she has lost everything. And the women from her community come out to greet her and they say, Naomi, welcome home. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for I am consumed with bitterness. And we heard that in Alicia's story. She was able to tell those safe faith community people around her that she was angry and they could handle it. We have to, when we're walking, why didn't that flip? Wow. Um, when we're walking with people through grief and loss, we have to expand our arms to hold whatever they bring to the table, whatever it is. And we have to not be surprised. So part of it is practicing our poker face that we don't send nonverbal messages of shock. If they need to cuss, let them cuss. If they need to rage, let them rage. If they need to you know, grieve and cry and be sloppy, don't let them apologize for it. If they laugh or smile and then feel guilty about it, normalize. It's okay. It's okay to have a moment of joy. It doesn't mean you miss that person any less. You have to hold whatever they bring to the table. And what we see with the women in Naomi's community is they are there with her at the end of the story when things have been restored, when God has brought her to a place of blessing and goodness, and she is a woman in a place of celebration, they are there with her rejoicing. They are praising God with her. They have stayed with her through the messy 
They held the hope that it wasn't the end of her story, and they were ready to join her in celebrating God because they had also kept their eyes open to actively search for his presence in the midst, to look for evidence of his hand working it out even when it seemed hopeless, even when it seemed like her story was going nowhere and she had hit a dead end. They kept their eyes open so when it was time to praise, they were right there praising. We also think about Job's friends. We're always beating up on Job's friends. But you know what? They did something none of us have the capacity to do. When Job was in that place of utter despair and suffering, they sat with him in silence for seven days and seven nights. I have a hard time being silent for seven minutes. It, it speaks to part of walking in that tunnel with people is we have to practice our tolerance for sitting with the uncomfortable. Sometimes we speak because we feel like we, don't, we can't do anything. We feel so helpless. It's this urgency, I just have to do something, just have to do something. Sometimes we speak because the person has brought something to the table that is a real, it's so uncomfortable for us. So we're speaking to try to shift into a different space. Sometimes we speak because we don't have enough practice with silence. We just need to practice holding our tongue a little more often. Be willing to just sit with someone and trust that your tender presence is enough. Trust that your prayers behind the scenes are enough. We don't always have to have words for people. We can't have words. And we're growing, we're committing as a community to continue developing our communication skills that we would continue growing in an understanding of what types of words to say. But it also is equally as important that we practice just being with people and allowing silent spaces and asking people what they need. And then one of my favorite stories is the prophet Nathan. And it's one of my favorites because having grown up in the church, I can slip into an arrogant space of thinking that I know the story. Like, we've gone through it. King David, oh yeah, I could tell you all about him. And then... It never fails. You see something you hadn't seen before. And I love that because it just puts us flat on our back. Like, oh, yes, that's right. I actually don't know it all. You know, I teach other people that we shouldn't know it all. But then I slip into thinking I know it all. And so recently I was reminded, oh, I don't know it all through the prophet Nathan. So many of us are familiar with maybe the most popular example of Nathan, the most well-known encounter, which is David made some poor choices. He made some really poor choices. And it resulted in infidelity, pregnancy, and murder of multiple people. And, and then hiding, hiding these things. And Nathan comes to David with a message from God. And that message is basically, David, buddy, 
you thought you could hide. You can't. I know it all. And this grieves me. You are my representative, and it grieves me. And we have walked this journey. You know that created things don't satisfy over me, and yet you fell into this space of thinking that your needs could be met through created things, and that has caused distance in our relationship, and you are mine. And so I will call you back anytime there is separation between us. Well, what I didn't notice was that's not the end of Nathan's relationship with David. You see Nathan come back later, and it's Nathan and Bathsheba are both referenced in the same passage. They're both in the same space, which speaks to healing in their relationship. But then also, David and Bathsheba named one of their sons after Nathan. And what blew me away with that was sometimes we're walking with people through pain and suffering that they have caused. It's self-inflicted. It's off of poor choices or it's off of um, responding incorrectly to hurt or it's off of using created things to cope or all of the other numbers of we, we all know because we've all done them and we've all walked with people through them. And Nathan is an example of two things. One is sometimes walking with people through pain and loss is being willing to say hard things. Nathan and David had a hard conversation. This wasn't a, you know, Bible beating over the head, shaming, guilt, that kind of thing. It was a, David, you know I love you, and we have history together, and I've got some hard things I have to say to you. But then the second piece is Nathan didn't leave. Nathan walked with David and Bathsheba through restoration. And so when we are with people where the, the pain that they're experiencing is self-inflicted, maybe the hope that we're holding on to, and I hold my finger like this to remember the light at the end of the tunnel, and in those situations, that light tends to feel really small. Maybe the hope that we're holding on to then is hope of restoration. And maybe the emotion that we're working out is our emotion because I am angry. Maybe this is one of my family members and I am angry at the devastation that they have created through their choices. And maybe it, I'm barely hanging on to hope of change and I'm like, Maybe I'm not even walking through it. Maybe I feel like God is dragging me through this tunnel because I'm at a place of I am done. I don't want to deal with them. Maybe I'd rather deal with their ex-spouse and just be family with them, and I'm ready to write off this person because I'm so disappointed with them. And, and we see in David that no one is beyond that level of sin. And we see in David that no one is beyond that level of restoration. 
When we read his words, we see that people are capable of gross sin even when they desperately love the Lord. And we see in his words that people are capable of tremendous um, restoration. So when it comes to practicing perspective, there are a couple things that we need to keep in mind about God. And I phrase it in questions because as women who are seeking to expand our capacity, we must come into the habit of asking ourselves good questions. And one of those questions is, how big is our God? For those of you who attend Creekside, uh, you may have heard Jackson preach on perspective, that we have a tendency to think that our perspective is the right perspective and unintentionally then mold God to match us. And so we must get into the habit of going, am, am I in a place Am I practicing when I think through ways that I'm washing myself in truth? Am I practicing things that will help me step back and remember how big he is? One of the worship songs that I've been listening to lately by Christine DeMarco um, says, I'm not alone, you're with me every step. Seasons come and go. You've never left. So open my heart in trust. Open my eyes to see. He who placed the sun and stars is here with me. The, the God of the universe is here with me. Am I remembering that he's the God of the universe when I'm walking through those tunnels, when I'm praying for people in those tunnels, when I'm holding on to hope at the end, am I holding on to the hope that matches, as Alicia said, what, what I think the outcome should be? Or am I approaching it from the angle of, he is the God of the universe, so clearly he must know more than I do. He must see things that I'm not seeing right now, he must be aware of angles I'm not aware of. His love must extend beyond my own. And he must have the ability to reach places I can't reach. So therefore, my posture walking through that is going to be a little different. And then the next question that we ask ourselves, because they go hand in hand. How big is your God and how personal is your God? Because we have a tendency to be one or the other. When we shift into focusing on how great our God is, we can sometimes forget how personal he is. And when we're in a place of experiencing how personal he is, we sometimes forget how great he is. 
One of the best examples in my mind when I'm thinking about how personal God is, is God's interactions with Lazarus's family. It says, when Mary reached Jesus, so after her brother had died, um, Jesus's friend, he loved this family. He had spent a lot of time with them. And um, when Mary came out, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that is how we feel so often. God, if you had been paying attention, if you had really been here, if you had cared the way I care, this wouldn't have happened. What is wrong with you? Where were you? You say you'll never leave us, but come on. Christ saw her weeping and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he too wept. And Katie taught on this from the angle of lament that the word there for wept is actually raged, that Christ was angry. And that's what we need to remember when we're looking at how personal our God is, that God joins us in those deep spaces of grief, of loss, that he is with us as we're crying over that little baby and as we're crying over our friend and as we're crying over the choices that people have made and the pain that it's causing and that he is in that space of raging. This isn't how it was supposed to be. I designed you for perfect intimacy with me and one another. That we aren't designed to function in the way we're functioning. We're walking around broken and incomplete. And we keep looking to the wrong things. And that Christ is going, I, I'm with you in the sadness. And I'm with you in the pain and, and I, I want you to hold hope that this isn't the end. And I'm going to keep just like Christ did with Mary and with Martha when he knew the end of Lazarus' story. It, I'm going to meet you right where you're at. I will be in the center of what's going on. And so with that, it's important to remember that joy is a fruit. One of the things when we're talking about suffering that can come up is Psalm 35. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. That feels like a lot of work. Force yourself to feel joy. Go ahead, do it. Right? That's, come on. It, that We have made a commitment, we're not the Happy Smilers Club. We don't do fake. So what in the world does joy mean? Joy is a fruit. Joy, joy isn't supposed to be us practicing good life skills. Joy is a fruit of his presence. All we have to do 
is what we heard in Alicia's story. Did you notice? She was angry. She was sad. She was grieving. She was asking hard questions. And then how often did she mention, and we read this devotion, and we talked to our gospel community, and we prayed. It, she was still allowing herself to be surrounded by his presence, right? She was still putting herself in those safe spaces. And when we practice leaning in, and for some people, we'll walk through the tunnel with them and they're like, don't you dare say a verse to me, right? Don't you dare pray out loud for me. But we're still praying behind the scenes. We're still praying those verses over them, right? Sometimes that's where, that's the only place we can go with it for the time being. But look, when we're walking through it on our own, when we're walking through it with loved ones, it's just the posture of the lean. The joy, he will do the work of the joy. He knows the timing of it. He knows the process of it. He knows what else has to come into place before the joy can come out. The joy isn't our responsibility. Our responsibility is to practice the lean and do whatever needs to happen for that. That's it. That's the only piece on our end. So with that, we're going to look at a warrior rhythm. You guys might think I'm a little crazy. We're about to watch a rugby video. <laughs> Y'all know I like sports. Last year I referenced the NBA. So now we're going to look at rugby. So this is New Zealand's All Blacks team. And we're going to watch them perform their haka. that as loud as it goes? <laughs> yeah, right? And listen very carefully. <laughs> you should have frozen it with his tongue hanging out, though. That would have been more entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> if we can't get it to work, I'll just perform it for you. Yeah. How about that?
and that prayer is a warrior act. We tend to approach things as, what can I do for you? Let me do something for you, please, anything besides praying. You know, like, I'm already praying, but what else can I do? Which is great. I love that we're looking at practical support. That is part of how community comes around one another. But we forget, can we pull back up that warrior rhythm slide? We forget the power of the prayer itself. So what I want you to picture when you're walking through that tunnel is this rhythm of prayer and worship. So the prayer part is the part of the haka where they're like guttural, just, you know, and tongue out. And that's the mess of it. That's allowing the space and trusting that our God can handle whatever we bring to the table. So that is the emotion of it. That is the language of it. That is those times when we don't have the words to match our experience. And we are just coming to his presence going, ah. You know, that is those times when I'm ready to cash in my chips and be done. Like, this world is hard. I'd like a break, please. A long vacation. That is those times when we remember Christ was right there. When he wept, that was that guttural prayer. Like, God, Father, this space, these broken people, they keep hurting each other. They keep looking to things instead of you. They keep trying to find satisfaction and sustenance in other spaces. They keep pretending they have it all together. They keep thinking they're looking at the end of the story. They keep thinking that because it didn't go the way they thought it was supposed to go, that you actually weren't here. And they've closed their eyes to your presence. That's the prayer part. That is supposed to be our posture in prayer, that we are laying ourselves bare before the almighty God, remembering how great he is and remembering how personal he is. But then when you shift into that movement, that is what we're supposed to do as a body. That we come together as a community of warriors going, I am going to clothe myself in truth. I am going to put on the armor of Christ. Even when I'm just holding on to that much of the hope because I'm drawing strength from the sister on my right and the sister on my left who are in a space where they've got more strength. They can share some of theirs. They're in a place of full awareness of his presence and the strength that they're drawing from that can spread. And so we come together as a body practicing that rhythm, singing those worship songs being honest, because of that prayer piece, we're being honest when we don't believe all the words, but we're singing them anyway because we are going to clothe ourselves in truth. Because you walk this earth long enough and you recognize, I can't do it all on my own. I will just turn into dust and totally disappear, blow away in the wind. And so my strength has to come from deeper places. And that is the practice of 
that rhythm. That is the practice. When we see those movements, they are coming together in unity and they are drawing strength from deeper spaces. They are drawing strength from community. They are drawing strength from a history. They are drawing strength from past victories. We have to become a people who are active, not passive. We have to become a people who will tolerate discomfort, who will stay silent long enough to hear people's stories, who will sit with those who aren't like us, who are seeking to build bridges, and who are practicing that warrior rhythm. So we're going to shift into worship, but I want to pull up our last slide. After worship, we'll do table discussions. Some of you know Lori Osborne. This is her sister, Carrie, a good friend of mine. Carrie and Dan and their boys, Jaden and Micah, are examples of but God stories. Carrie, in her 20s, um, entered menopause and um, would never have biological children. And they embarked on a journey and took many others in our community with them on looking at, but with God. It's not the end of my story. The paper says it's the end of my story. The world might say it's the end of my story, but God, God is always, always at work. And he brought them these sweet little babes. And Micah has a biological brother who was adopted by friends who had repeated miscarriages and had grieved a long journey of infertility. And one day, the husband was driving and raging at God. God, where, like this, really? This is the best you had for us? To watch my wife fall into depression every month? To have another negative test? To walk through another pregnancy loss? This is the best you had for us? And later found out that the timing of that rage conversation was when Micah's little bio brother was conceived and that family looked to place him for adoption and placed him with our friends. And, and they now have two adopted kiddos. And that is part of our practice. When we look at the strength of community, we talk a lot about storytelling those but God stories are really critical. Now, the timing, we're not going to throw them out there when somebody's deep in the darkness of the tunnel, right? But when we're coming together practicing our warrior rhythms, absolutely, absolutely, we look for what are our but God stories. So 
We also want to get into the habit of looking at those in the Bible because they're all over the place. Someone thought they were at the end of their story. Oh, guess what? But God, he had something else in mind, right? We have to practice looking for that. So what are some of your favorite but God moments from the Bible? Share one from your life and think about how storytelling can enhance our warrior rhythm. You also, depending on your table and the things that you guys have shared with each other, I didn't put it on here, but you may find that your time is better spent thinking through some practicals of moving through the holidays. It could be that maybe you have a few people at your table who are in the middle of walking with people through those tunnels, and, and you could use some idea sharing around how to lovingly support them and give them freedom to define the holidays for themselves. Right? So that's that. Let's um, switch into worship. I think I ran long, and we'll just figure